What I'm going to share with you, I am not a, um, a, um, a PhD or anything <laughs> in that field. I can just share with you some of the principles that have, I've found helped in my life. There's probably tons of other principles also, um, but I think the bottom line is we need to go to the Word of God and uh, we need to go to the Word of God, the Spirit of Prophecy, to discover the principles on uh, how to guide our lives. Um, the, what I'll be doing, uh, it's two sessions, and so I'm just going to go as far as I can, and then we'll cut, and then uh, I'll just be finishing up in the last section. Uh, when I was 16, 16? Yeah, I went to be a literature evangelist in the United States, a coal porter. And that experience that summer changed my life completely. When I came back, I started praying more. Um, even though I'm a pastor's child, I started to be like getting more serious about God. Because when I went uh, going out, knocking on doors, selling books, uh, Christian books, health books, just I had some amazing testimonies. I remember... Um, just so many testimonies. I won't go into them because I don't have time. But I, I came back home and I was on fire and I went to a missionary training school and came back even more on fire. And now I'm trying to reach my family, you know, with all this amazing stuff I've discovered about health, about dress, about all kinds of stuff. And, and um, I was very shocked to have this resistance I'm thinking, you know, like this is the this is powerful stuff. You know, look what it has done to my life. And they're saying, well, you're fanatical, you're this and that. And and it puts question in your mind, am I fanatical? Am I out the deep end? You know, am I, you know, and it's the same I've experienced that I think with my family, but many individuals experience that with non-Adventists. It's, it's it's the same kind of contrast, I would say. And I think many times I did not always have the right approach. My concept was, if it says it's in the Word of God, if it's in the spirit of prophecy, I mean, what's your problem? I mean, it's straight. <laughs> and you're just being rebellious, and, and you're, uh, you're going to be lost. And um, there may be some truth in when you reject light, you are lost, yes. But I think there's methods to be able to, to, be able to reach individuals um, that are more tactful, I could, should I say. So we're going to focus on something called friendship evangelism. Uh, you've heard the term before. And I want to start with a Bible verse in 1 Corinthians 9. And we're going to base ourselves on that. Just do a little discussion and try to draw some principles. The first one, 1 Corinthians 9, we're looking at verse 19. This is Paul speaking, speaking to the Corinthians, how he, you know, he could have taken their money. Uh, because he was a preacher, but he didn't. He worked with his hands because he didn't want to have any reason for them to reject the gospel's sake, saying, you know, we made this guy rich or whatever. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, this is Paul, says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself, what? What's the theme of this work, the conference? Make me a servant. I have made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Is it a good thing to be under the law? No. <laughs> Am I saved if I'm under the law? No, right? To them that are without the law, as without the law. That's basically a pagan. So under the law is a sinner, someone that knows the law but doesn't do the law. And someone that has no law is like an atheist, right? Uh, to them that are without the law, I became as without law, being not without law to God, but unto the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. So Paul says here, look, to the Jew... I became a Jew. To the weak, I became a weak. I became weak, as weak. To the guy who's under the law, I became like under the law, like a sinner. And to the one that is without the law, like the atheist, I became 
like an atheist. And I became, um, and so I want to discuss a little bit that later. But he says, I did these things. What is the goal? If you read the verses carefully, why would he become a Jew to the Jew? What was his motive or purpose? That he may gain them. That's right. That he may save them. That was the purpose. So here we see that the first principle in reaching the hearts of your loved ones uh, is you must become a servant. I think that's the first principle that, at least in this context, that Paul brings. So Paul says, look, I am free. I'm a free man. But I choose to be a servant. And then he goes and describes what his definition of being a servant is. And the purpose he's saying, I am a servant, is so that I can reach these people. So he's saying, you want to reach people? I want to reach people too. But he says, the way that I reach people is that I become a servant. And for him to be a servant is to become all men to all men, meaning to become a Jew to the Jew, those that are weak to the weak, atheist to an atheist, and a sinner as a sinner to a sinner, to reach a sinner. That's a little bit difficult to understand. The first thing I want to focus on before we go, the concept of becoming a Jew to a Jew or becoming as an atheist to an atheist, I want to ask you, what's the concept of being a servant in Paul's day? In Paul's day, I mean, here in Canada, we don't really have servants, you know. Obey the will of your master. So um, the closest thing to here as a servant is maybe a waiter. <laughs> but, you know, a waiter, when they come to us, you know, they serve upon us. They say, you know, what can I do? What? I mean, you are always right. You are the customer. So what, what do you want? So you tell me what you want. And I will go, and if it's not right, I will go and make it right. You know, I, I wait upon you. I serve you. And in Paul's day, I think it was a little bit more, it wasn't just a nine-to-five job that I'm a waiter or waitress. Most servants were servants that lived in the household, and they were servants for, for years, you know. Uh, he didn't say slave. I didn't look up the Greek word to find out exactly what it means. But the concept of servanthood means I'm here to do the will of the one that is superior to me. So the first principle, I think, um, under, or the first concept under principle one is that a servant, and all this is going to make sense, I think, when we start tying in to how to reach our loved ones. We'll make it more uh, uh, come together. The first principle uh, under principle one, the purpose of a servant purpose of existence is to wait upon their superior. So Paul is trying to reach a drug addict. Paul is trying to reach a drug addict and right now what he says is that he's putting that drug addict in a certain context as his superior. That's a very interesting concept. That's the first point. Purpose of existence is to wait upon their superior. The second uh, point under principle one is a servant has very limited rights. So a servant can just decide to say, no, you can't eat that. Even as a waiter, you know, the closest thing we have to a servant, a waiter will not say, uh, I don't think you should do that. Or, no, are, you're thinking you're going to, that's so much fat in that thing and oil, you don't want to order that. No, a servant is there just to give you what you want, right? So they're very limited rights. Um, they can't say, well, I don't want to clean the toilet because it's, it's disgusting, it's dirty. No, your servant your job is to do what I tell you to do. If I tell you to clean the toilets, then you clean the toilets. So what they do is that their, light, their rights are very limited. Paul says, I become a servant. So what Paul says is that he chooses to put the individual in a certain context as his superior, number one. And number two, he chooses to limit his rights. You know, if you read the book, Desire of Ages, we're told that um, when Jesus was a child... Um, 
his brothers would, would ask him to do all kinds of stuff. You know, go get me a drink of water and do this. And he would submit. And he was like almost, I don't want to use doormat, you know. But Ellen White says that Jesus never, never stood for his rights, meaning his personal rights. He stood for the right of others, the rights of his father. But when it came to him, meaning I'm a human being, you don't do that to me. You know who I am? Never. And so much that it was so frustrating because he was so compassionate and helpful and servant that when the Pharisees came and, you know, there were certain principles that he wouldn't, he, there were certain principles that he wouldn't submit to. For example, to go to the schools of the rabbis, he wasn't submitting to that. And the reason it was so frustrating is not because he wouldn't submit, it's because he was so submissive in everything else that they couldn't budge him in that one or two or three point. And, and it was frustrating because, so Paul says he chooses to limit his rights. And just above the context of the paragraph, we find out one example of how he did that. He says, you know, I'm, a, I'm using my words, but he's saying, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher. I have the right to collect tithe, you know, so that I, you guys can sustain. But in the same chapter, he says, I chose not to. I chose not to do that. I chose to go and sweat and to make tents and earn my own living because I didn't want to give an occasion of, of fall or whatever to the gospel's sake. I didn't want you guys to have any reasons why you would not accept Christ. So he limited his rights by choice. And the third um, point under principle number one is uh, there's, I think we can do a lot of research of what it means to be a servant. But another point I found was interesting about a servant is that a servant does not share, uh, does not judge or share opinions unless asked. And this is going to be very important when you're trying to reach your loved ones, right? So, uh, does not judge, meaning that's not the role of a servant. My role as a servant is just to serve. And you have to be careful saying, well, the servant could think all kinds of thoughts in his or her head. But you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if we know something that we should not do, then we need to start controlling things up here, right? So a servant does not judge or share opinions unless asked. And this is what we want to get to. We want to get to the point that individuals will start asking us about certain things to open up doors of opportunity. So the only purpose of existence is to wait upon the superior. When I was younger, I had a dog, a Doberman, a very nice dog. Uh, if you treat them well, they're, <laughs> they're nice, but you can make them aggressive, I guess, if you want. And you know, this dog, I was like 15, 16, and where I lived, like the kitchen area, we had a place, I guess, that should have been a patio doors, but it wasn't. It was just a big window, and it went out to a deck. And the dog was outside, and the dog would just sit there and just look at the window and just sit there, you know? And so when I came back from school, he'd be so excited. And so, you know, sometimes I wouldn't be interested to, to play with him. So I'd just go in to watch TV, God forbid, but I did. And <laughs> the dog's just sitting there. The dog will sit there for hours just looking at the window, just waiting. Every time I pass by, he gets all excited. And I'm just going to my room. <laughs> and, then he, and I pass by again. You know, he'll stay there for hours. And when I go out, oh, brother, it's, it's crazy. And I thought about that. His, there's a reason why we say a dog is man's best friend. You know, no matter how you treat the dog, they still love you and whatever. And that dog's only purpose of existence was just to, just to wait, wait for me to go out and play with him. That was his, to, to play and to eat. That was his purpose of existence, to be in my presence. When you start realizing this dog, it's amazing how dogs can teach you something. In Revelation, we see angels that are around the throne of God. And they cry, the Bible says, day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I tried to imagine that. 
what do you mean? They have no life? All they do is they just stay in the presence of God like 24-7, and that's all they do. They just worship God. I mean, don't they like go to a bathroom or like go and visit another planet or something like that? I mean, what's, when I go to heaven, I want to go see this and I want to visit this and I want to do all kinds of stuff when I go to heaven. But these angels, they have found the true meaning and purpose of life, which is to be in the presence of God and to wait upon God. And for them, that is life. I mean, let me just stay in God's presence. Let me just wait upon Him. Let me just worship Him. And if I don't get to visit anything, meet anyone else, go and see nothing else, then that's the fulfillment for my life. Friends, we have, it's so strange to us because we are so selfish by nature that this concept is, but I have a life to live. And they're saying, no, my life is in God's hands. And this, if that's my purpose of existence, I'm happy to do that. But I'd, give, I'd um, recommend you to study about these angels that are, and the 24 elders that are around the throne of God and the purpose of their existence it would be a good study for you to read. So, uh, purpose of existence is to wait upon the superior, very limited in the rights, does not judge or share opinions. Uh, so now, what I want to ask you, let's go back to the concept. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 9, verse uh, 19 to 22, he says, Though I be free, yet I have made myself a servant. The reason I've done that is that I might gain the more. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. So he says, To the Jew I became a Jew. To them that are under the law or to the sinner I became as a sinner. To them that are without the law or the atheist I became as an atheist. Friends, please help me to understand. I want to reach my atheist uh, brother. How am I, how does it work? How can I become an atheist or as an atheist to reach an atheist? Do I need to give up my understanding or my belief in God to be able to reach God? How do I become a sinner, meaning that with, under the law, how do I become as a sinner to reach the sinner? I thought we had to, to uphold a high standard. I thought that if we just elevate the standard, then they will want to reach that standard. Now Paul is saying, no, you need to come down and you need to become as a sinner to reach a sinner. Am I supposed to partake in sin to be able to reach a sinner? Explain to me. Okay, let me make it more practical. I have an uncle. He's an atheist and he's going to have a barbecue. Okay? And, um, and so I'm invited to go. It's a family gathering. Now, he's an atheist, I'm a Christian. I don't really want to go. You know why I don't want to go? Because a barbecue is about meat, and I'm a vegetarian, first of all. <laughs> so there's going to be nothing for me to eat but chips and salad, number one. Number two, I know what they're going to talk about. They're going to talk about cars, about the latest movie or TV show. It has nothing to do with what I'm interested in. So I should just stay home, right, and just pray for them that they will have a close walk with God and they will find Jesus Christ. Is that what I should do? Is that what we usually do? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to go because when I go, I feel so uncomfortable. You know, like, I don't relate with these people, the music, the, the meat, the whatever. It's just there's nothing in there for me, for interest for me, right? I mean, they're my family. They're a bunch of weirdos, and I just, <laughs> I love them, but, you know, and they're always getting in a fight and whatever. So there's not that, that, that pull for me to go. The reason I don't want to go is because when I go, I feel really uncomfortable. But the question is, should I go? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> so how do I reach and how do I become an atheist to an atheist in this context. Let me make it a little bit more realistic. So I go to the barbecue. I'm very nice, very kind. I don't shove religion down anybody's throat. But then they start making fun of me. <laughs> is it really? 
They start making fun of me, and so I'm calm, I'm compassionate, I'm loving, I pray, I ask God for help, and I don't get angry. You know, and you think you're more holy than us, don't you? Just because you don't eat meat, you think you're going to go to like the heaven or whatever, or wherever it is? I mean, is that what you think? And so I don't say anything, and I'm just saying, you know, well, you know. And guys, this is a scenario, but I'm telling you, in my life I've realized, when your life is surrendered to God, Someone whose life is not surrendered to God, sometimes you may not even say a word, but they feel judged sometimes by your lifestyle, you know, by the choices you make. And you're not saying anything. I mean, you didn't open your mind, you didn't say a thing. They just feel like you're judging them, you're more holy than them, you know, whatever reason. I'm saying this when you have determined in your heart that you're going to follow God all the way. Um... So, okay, you endure it, you're kind, you're compassionate, everything. Conversation does not open up to spiritual things, even though you've prayed about it, you want it to open. Nothing good comes out of it, so you come back home. Next Christmas, you have to go to the Christmas party. Uh, you don't want to go, but you're a servant, your, your existence is to wait upon people, you limit your rights, whatever. It does not, doesn't matter how I feel, I'm going to go for the gospel's sake. So you go again, and you go, and they make fun of you again. They have nothing for you to eat, even though they know you're vegetarian. They couldn't care less about your religion. Actually, they cuss you out. And you're, you know, you got a few friends. They laugh together and whatever. But, and you're going back, and it's been one year and two years, or maybe three years, and you're wondering, what's the point? I mean, and of course, it makes it worth. It's one of the Christmas you lost your temper. <laughs> and you shout out at them. And, and so that really puts a spin on what sometimes happens normally as, some, as sinners. And so after three years, you're saying, you know what? The next barbecue comes up, and you know everybody should go. You haven't had like this personal invitation, but you know you're kind of expected to be maybe at a Christmas party. And you're thinking, should I go? You know, what's the point? No one's listening to me. I'm not seeing any opportunities. Um, they're just making fun of me. I don't feel comfortable. I have nothing to eat there. I don't like the music. They just talk about movies, girls, whatever. It's a waste of time. Let me just stay home and pray with them. Should I stay home? <laughs> Should I? Why or why not? For sure, I feel uncomfortable. And, and God doesn't want me to feel uncomfortable, right? <laughs> God wants me to be comfortable. He's sending me the comforter to comfort me. Amen? <laughs> That's way out, right? Does God want me to be uncomfortable? Yes, in this realm, yes. <laughs> Does God want me to be persecuted? I don't think that's his ultimate desire, but I think he has a bigger picture in mind, right? And if that means that I need to be persecuted, I need to lose my life, my wife needs to die, whatever, he's going to allow it because he has a greater purpose in mind, and he'll sustain me through it, right? Um, so you haven't answered me. You know, in the, um, this afternoon, you may or may not be there, but I'm going to talk about um, about the purpose of our existence, about reaching out in our community, which is some of the same similar principles as now we're talking about. But I think personally that sometimes we get these feelings of insecurity, depression, and so forth, because when we go to reach, when we go to gatherings or whatever, we don't have a purpose of reaching people, you know, and. It's almost like someone gave me an example once, says, John, it's like a, a, a garden hose where if you haven't used it for a while, you have spiders and stuff that crawl in and becomes defiled or whatever. But just turn the water on and the water gushes out and there's no way anything can come in. And that's the same thing, like Jesus could go and he could touch a leper because there was life flowing from him out and he would not be defiled as a result. When I go out there, if I go with a motive of helping people, of saving people, I may go maybe places that you could not go. 
let me not put it that way, but let's say he would, <laughs> he could go to maybe a bar. The, the Holy Spirit is pushing him for that Pacific to reach someone there, and he would not get defiled. Whereas someone else, that's if, if he would go in and they would lose their way, you know. So the idea is, um, I think it's very important to understand that when we go places, we go even to family. It's not just to relax and kick back. You have a purpose. You have a motive. You understand something that they don't. And if you're on your guards and pleading for the Holy Spirit to help, I think that it would limit the amount of depression and um, uh, some of insecurity that you would, you would experience. Um, I want to share just, we're going to come back to this a little bit later, but I want to share a concept of friendship evangelism. And I'm not too sure how to share this, um, but it's a term that we, we, under, we hear a lot these days. And I'm all for friendship evangelism, but I think that there is truly a, a, um, a misconception of what that term means. Um, I think that Satan, what he has done is that he has taken that and he's divided it. And whenever you divide things, you're in trouble. If you divide justification from sanctification, if you divide the law uh, from grace, if you divide, you know, then you start become, getting into uh, issues. So, you know, there's friendship and there's evangelism. And when you, reach, when you read Paul, what he's saying is that I'm being friends to them. I'm going down to their levels, but there's a purpose to what I'm doing this. I am doing it so that I can reach. So if I have to go down without compromising sin, and we can read it in verse, uh, verse 21, he says, without committing sin, I'm going to go down as low as I can go. There is no limit to me going down. There's no limit to how low I will go as long as I don't compromise with God so that I can be able to reach. So I'm going to go as low as I can to become friends with individuals so that I can be able to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what we have had, for example, if we have just evangelism, unfortunately, sometimes what that does is that it turns individuals away. It becomes coldness. There's a hard, hardness to just preaching people, hitting them over the head with the Bible or Ellen White or whatever it may be. Uh, the concept is just to, we just want them to know the truth, to see the truth, and to be baptized, you know, and then as if it will put a star in our crown, and, and we know it, th they need it, you know, and it's not like if I'm, I'm doing this for you. So there's a concept of evangelism, and there's a concept of friendship. You know, 40 years ago or 50 years ago, our church was a lot in this area where there was a lot of evangelism, but sometimes maybe not enough um, friendship where we would go to a barbecue. No, 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 we're Adventists. We don't go there. We don't eat. We don't party. We don't do nothing, you know, and we don't party. Praise the Lord. But we, <laughs> you understand what I mean? Meaning we put a wall between us and the world that we don't, we can't, you know, no. I mean, I don't eat this way. I don't drink. I don't listen to this music and my children. No, no, no. So, so then you're living in your house and your neighbors are there and you wave to them, but that's it. There's no mingling, right? And we share a track. Oh, for sure, we share a track and a DVD from Doug Basher and whatever, but, but don't touch me, right? And then there's friendship. So that's the other end. And I think now our church, a lot of our churches swing to this end that just be friends. I mean, go out there and be loving people, love people, just share with them. But what they do is that they, un unfortunately, they erase this concept where as a church, let's change our name even. Let's not call it Adventist Church. Let's call it a community fellowship, get together, whatever. Fine, change your name if you want to. But the change in the name and the ch changes, it's really uh, outward manifestation of what's going on inside. And what's going on inside is they're saying, look, we don't want these truths because these truths sometimes they bring about division. Yeah, the Sabbath, but you know what? There's no difference between you and me. I mean, the only difference is I go to church on Sabbath and you don't. Do you know that that's a huge lie? <laughs> I mean, it's not a lie if you don't understand what we believe as Seventh-day Adventists. But if you start understanding what we really believe, even salvation, we are the only ones that truly believe in the way that the Bible teaches salvation. Meaning not only a forgiveness of sin, but also that God is able to cleanse us and that God is able to perfect us before His coming. 
you know, we're the only church that has a doctrine of the sanctuary that God, Jesus is not only died, but he's interceding on our behalf. The only church that believes in that. So there's a world of difference between myself and a Baptist. Of course, you don't want to make it sound like that when you're talking with them, you know, but in your mind, it's important for you to know that. The trouble is that the individual that says there's no difference really believes there is no difference. It's just Sabbath. And so just be friends. And so I go to church with you on Sunday. You can come on Sabbath if you want. If you don't, it's okay, right? So many individuals, if they come to the truth with this, many times they leave because there's no friendship. There's nothing that keeps them. And I've been to crusades and I've been working with churches and I've seen individuals that come through net series, but they leave. And when you come and visit them, they don't, Many of them don't leave because they've rejected the truth, but they left because they had no friends. They had nobody that they could relate with, you know. And when they went through hard times, they had no one there to support them. Uh, when they faced opposition from their family, and so they left. And then this thing is that it's an emptiness. It's emptiness. You have friends. You have great joy. You, uh, you hug each other. You go to parties and whatever. But it's like she was saying, what's the difference between you and me? I mean, why should I become a seven Adventist? I mean, you guys are just like us. There's no difference. I mean, you get angry, upset, and whatever, just like I do. And even though it's true, when you keep them together that they may see that, they, by God's grace, will be able to see that there's something a little bit deeper. I want to share just a few texts. We're building something, and then at the end, we're going to wrap up all the principles one by one. If you look to uh, uh, the principle number two, by the way, um, I'll have you write it. Principle number two is never separate friendship from evangelism. Never separate friendship from evangelism. Uh, I'm going to go quickly through uh, some verses to be able to show the principle number three of where we're going at. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. Romans 1, and I'm going to read fast, so uh, just stay with me. These are texts that most of you know. So, but let's read it within the context of reaching our loved ones. Romans 1, 16 to 17. The Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This is Paul speaking. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by what? Faith. How shall the judge live? The just live? So what makes a just what, what connects us to God so that we can become just? It's faith, right? In Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? So for me to be just, I must have faith. Without faith, the Bible says it's impossible to please God. So to have faith, we are told that faith comes by hearing what? The word of God, okay? And then in John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So there's power in the word of God to save us, to justify us, to cleanse us. And here in this text, it says to sanctify us, to make us holy. In John 16, verse 7 to 8, and verse 13, I'll read that one. John 16, verse 7 to 8, uh, it says, And when he, Jesus is talking about the Comforter, he will come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Um, and then in verse 13, it says, Sorry, verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. Jesus talking. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, the Comforter, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, for whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He will guide you into all what? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy what is truth? Thy word is truth. So the Holy Spirit will lead us into all of God's word, right? In, um, it's the Holy Spirit, basically what the Holy Spirit does is that it takes the word of God and it convicts us of sin. It takes the word of God and inspires faith in us. It takes the word of God and comforts us. So the Holy Spirit does not act 
necessarily independent of God's Word. The Holy Spirit is in harmony with God's Word, uses the Word of God to bring about a change in our lives. In Acts of the Apostle, page 18, it says, By these feeble agencies are the disciples, it's talking about the disciples, through His Word and His Spirit, these two agencies, Christ designed to place salvation within the reach of everybody. And in Acts of the Apostle, verse 50, uh, page 53, it says, Having brought conviction of sin and presented before the mind a standard of righteousness, the Holy Spirit withdraws the affections from the things of this world and fills the soul with a desire for holiness. He will guide you into all truth, the Savior declared. If men are willing to be molded, there will be brought about a sanctification of the whole being. The Spirit will take the things of God and stamp them on the soul. By His power, the way of life will be made so plain that none need err therein. So principle number three, principle number three, people are changed by the Word of God through the power of God's Spirit. People are changed by the Word of God through the power of God's Spirit. And friends, we're going to make this practical uh, soon here some of these principles. People are changed by the Word of God through the power of God's Spirit. We know that, friends, but you know that? We don't really know that. <laughs> I am not the Holy Spirit. Can you say that with me? I am not the Holy Spirit. Wow. If we can fully understand that, you have gone 50% to reach your loved ones. I am not the Holy Spirit. But it's the Holy Spirit that does. So what I need to do, my responsibility, is to plead, to pray, to cry, to fast for the indwelling of God's Spirit because it's the Spirit through the Word of God that will reach my loved ones. Are you with me? So I can't just sit down and say, well, I guess I'm not the Holy Spirit, so I'll just, the Holy Spirit will have to take. No. On the other hand, it's the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit will use you to be able to bring about the Word of God to these individuals. So I need to pray, I need to fast, I need to plead, I need to cry as if my life depends on it because, you know, their life does depend on it. If you don't do this, many times you are the only person that can reach your loved ones. You're the only person that cares enough to even pray for them. So if you don't do that, many times in the end, they can be lost because you have not taken your role seriously of allowing the Holy Spirit to live in you. You know, in, uh, I think it's in Matthew. Um, Matthew chapter... Let me not go far with this. Ah, uh, I think it's Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, verse 7, it says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives. And... He that seeks, find, and he, to him that knocks, it shall be open. Or what man is there of you whom his son shall ask bread, and he'll give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him serpent? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, uh, yes. And then it says, verse 11. Yeah. No, that's not it. I think it's in Luke. <laughs> in Luke it says, Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. This is reiterated. And then he says, If you, are being, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more shall your heavenly Father give to you um, good things? And in Luke or Mark it says, How much more shall your heavenly Father give his spirit to him that asks? So I think there's this concept of Jesus wants to give us the Holy Spirit because He understands that the Holy Spirit makes a big difference in reaching our loved ones. Uh, I am not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that takes the Word of God and brings about conviction. Um, 
Principle number four. Friendship is a means to an end. Friendship is a means to an end. So it's only lately I've I fully realized that. You know, I've always realized, you know, thought I need to be Christ-like, I need to be loving to individuals. But there is a purpose to me being loving. I'm being loving to you, and Satan will tell you, you know, don't be loving to him just to save him because that has ulterior motives, and that's not right. <laughs> but if I truly love him, I want him to be saved, right? Doesn't that make sense? So for me to love him or to be kind to him or to be a friend to him, there needs to be a motive. The only problem here is that sometimes as human beings, when he does not respond correctly, then it's like, forget you, you know? Then they can see that there was a motive that was almost sinful, you know, or selfish, that maybe I just wanted to, I don't know, to make, to have a star on my crown or whatever. So I'm supposed to be kind and compassionate and loving and friendly, regardless of if you're going to turn to God or not, right? Regardless of how you respond to me. But I have to realize that it's a means to an end, a door that allows us to get close to people's heart, giving us an opportunity to present God's word, letting the Spirit do the impressions. So let's, let's bring it back to the example that we were using. Principle number one, what is that? Servant. You must be a servant to be able to reach individuals, especially your loved one. A servant, the purpose of existence is just to wait upon people, is limit our rights, not to judge, not to share our opinions unless asked. It's just to be there, to serve them in whichever way or whatever capacity that we can be. The second point is friendship should never be separated from evangelism, right? Meaning there's a purpose to my friendship. People are changed by what? Principle number three. The Word of God and through this God's Spirit. And friendship is a means to an end. So let's use these principles. I am... Um, I'll give you an example that we're having. Um, there was a time where I thought that revival and people's conversion and stuff like that happened by, you know, if they can go and just hear a powerful sermon or just hear the story or whatever, the, emotional, the emotions of it is what's going to lead people to Jesus. But that's not the case. Revival and change of people's lives is never done through uh, emotions or just talking about dogs and grandmas <laughs> and about what has happened to people. Uh, but it's brought about by the Word of God and the Spirit. So I want to work backwards from what we've learned. I understand that the only thing that's going to change my family, I'm going to use my atheist uncle, is the Word of God by God's Spirit. Are you with me? You've understand this so far. So it's not how nice of a person I am, but it's the Word of God that's going to change. The fact that I'm nice is a door. The fact that I'm helpful is a door. The fact that I am uh, really being there for him, you know, lending him my car, cutting his lawn, shoveling his whatever, it's a door. But that is not, and he may even come to church. And he says, you know what? Wait, wow, that's powerful. I'm going to come to church. I want to be like you. But do you know that that is not what changes him? What changes him is the Word of God through the Holy Spirit. So I need to understand that that is why Bible studies, friends, is not something that is outdated or outfashioned. Um, there's no replacement for studying the Bible with people because it's the Bible that the Holy Spirit used to change His people's lives. And you know why we don't fully understand that? Because we spend so little time in the Bibles ourselves that we don't fully understand where the change and transformation comes from. So we go to church and we get a little bit of Bible there. We listen to audio verse maybe once or twice. And so we think it's kind of like, oh, if I only had that powerful sermon or wow, that was amazing, that story. If they could hear that, that would be powerful. And we don't realize that it's a systematic study of the Word of God brought about by the impression of the Holy Spirit that changes our lives. So because we don't understand it, we don't 
Bible studies. We don't even offer Bible studies. I don't know how to give a Bible study. You don't need to know how to give a Bible studies. Everything's done for you. There's a study guide, and it's very boring, friends. But if you do it, it you, you, you discover, boring or not, there's something that starts happening in people's lives when they study the Word of God. So I, I could share with you a lot of, maybe next session I'll share, but testimonies of how I've seen the Word of God change lives. So friendship. I am a servant. I'm like a dog. I'm like, I'm just waiting like at the window. Give me an opportunity to serve you. I put away my rights, my feelings. I don't feel good when I go to the barbecue. I don't feel right to be judged and whatever. But if I have to go for a year or two or three or four or five, I'm going to do it. Because you know what? I'm going to be there and I'm just going to wait upon you. Give me an opportunity to be friends, to show compassion so that you can give me a chance to be able to share God's word and have the spirit move upon your heart. That is the purpose of where I want. So sometimes it takes years. But it takes years. But I am not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working on my uncle since he was born. And I need to acknowledge that. I am not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and God has delineated my role. My role is to be a Jew to the Jew, an atheist to an atheist. So I will go to the atheist where they are. I will sit with them. I will drink. I will talk. I won't compromise my standard, but as far or as deep as possible, like the three Hebrews boys before the statue, they knew what the statue was all about. But they, they obeyed. They obeyed. They obeyed. They obeyed. They submitted to a point that they says, no, at this point, I'm sorry, we can't bow down to the statue. Meaning they, they went down to the lowest depth until the point that it says, we can't. So it's the same concept with friendship. Friendship evangelism is you are a servant. You put away your rights and maybe even your <laughs> used a little bit almost. And you allow yourself to be used in a way without compromising your belief in God. Uh, so that you can be able to win the affection of the individual. And you keep watching and praying for opportunities not just so that the person can say, wow, you're a powerful Christian. I want to be like you. No, most of the time it's not that way. Most of the time it's like, in canvassing what we've realized many times is what people say softly is usually what's the most important. What they mumble is usually what matters the most in their lives. So they're talking to you, talking to you. So it's not always what they say. But when you start reading between the lines, that's when you start catching things. And they'll say something like, well, you know, not everyone can be like you, you know, or not everyone can believe like you. That's a soft moment, a perfect moment for you to jump in and start working. Um, a time of crisis is an amazing moment. Uh, and sometimes that's what will happen, is that God will have you work with people for a year or two or three. If you have a consistent lifestyle, God will bring about a crisis in people's lives. And you know the first person that they're going to think of is not their partying friends. They're going to think of you. Another point is that sometimes God will bring a crisis in your life. And the way that you react will convince them that you're different than everybody else. Because when the money's rolling and everything's fine and health is good, atheists, everybody are on the same plane. We're all good and nice and I give more money to charity than you do. So what's the problem? But when you have cancer or when your mom has cancer and you're still faithful, smiling, and it's like something different about that. And that has happened to me in my life. And people start asking questions. And that's the point where you can be able to allow God to shine. Just to be able to say, come to church with me? No. You know that it's the Word of God through the Holy Spirit. So what you need to do is have a plan <laughs> and say, hey, why don't we study together? And I'll share with you what power, where I get the strength to be able to be like that. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to ask people to study the Word of God. You'd be surprised how many people will submit to that idea. Okay, sorry. Just a short question. Yeah. Um, let's say you're working in a secular job and you go in for lunch and this person, your coworker, asks you, can you buy me a quart of latte as you go to your lunch? Can you bring it to me? Would you buy it? I'm going to answer that question. <laughs> I'm going to answer that question in the next session. <laughs> <laughs>
it's recorded. If you can't be here, just check out the recording. It's fine. <laughs> but remind me. It's, yeah, I'm going to answer the port question or they want you to get a drink of alcohol or whatever. Um, anyways, uh, I'll share two last testimonies. There's more principles, but I guess... No, it's 10.30. No, there's a few minute break in between. So okay. Uh, Let me break. If you guys can't make it, it's recorded. Don't worry. It's all good. That, this is my boss. I need to submit to him. <laughs> I need to practice being a servant. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, there are so many individuals that you have put within the sphere of our influence that don't know you. And we ourselves, Father, sometimes struggle even with the knowledge of you. But Father, the principles are clear. Teach us to be able to know the way your spirit works. Submit to these principles, Father, for we want our loved ones to be in heaven. We don't want, O oh Lord, to spend eternity without anyone that is dear to our heart, regardless of how much pain sometimes they have brought to us. Teach us, Father, to be patient, to be servant, to know how far to go in giving up our rights to becoming like them that we may reach them. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to humbling yourself even unto death for us. May this be a lesson to us as we humble ourselves, making ourselves servant to reach others. In Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.